Welcome to Every Moment His. This sermon was preached from the pulpit at Holy Cross in Kearney, Nebraska, and we pray that you are blessed by the preaching of God's Word. God's people, grace, mercy, and peace to each and every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. You may be seated. And I'd invite you to open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 1 on this second Sunday of Advent. That'll be our text for today. Well, friends, have you ever been to a revival? I'm guessing the answer is likely no, right? Um, I just remember driving around in the south once. I think it was driving through Mississippi and going through a small town and seeing a sign that said, Revival, next Tuesday, 7 o'clock. We don't see a lot of those signs around here in Nebraska. What comes to your mind when you hear the word revival? What comes to your mind? What pictures come to mind? Uh, Maybe you think of a big tent with a sweaty preacher in a suit and tie, with a floppy Bible in one hand and a handkerchief in the other. Maybe that comes to mind. Or maybe you think of Billy Graham preaching to a crowded stadium and people coming forward to make a commitment to Christ as every single stanza of Just As I Am is played over and over and over. Or maybe when you hear the word revival, you think of the word advent. Have you ever thought about Advent as a time of revival, a time of awakening, a time of spiritual renewal in the church and in your life? If that sounds odd or maybe a little bit out of place, maybe a new idea for you, stick with me for just a moment. Listen carefully to the prayers that we pray, the psalms that we speak, and the readings that we hear during the Advent season. And I believe that you'll see that the theme of Advent is revival, awakening, and spiritual renewal. So for example, the appointed prayers for Advent call upon God to stir up our hearts, and we ask God to visit us with his grace, mercy, and power. Or Psalm 85, which is the psalm for the first Sunday in Advent, it pleads with God in verse 6, will you not revive us again? In Hebrew, that word means to return life to what is dead. Or last week in our gospel reading, Jesus urges us repeatedly. He says, stay awake. And so does the Advent epistle reading from Romans 13. Paul says, the hour has come for you to wake from your sleep. And so I would say that Advent is all about God renewing and reviving our faith, about God awakening us and keeping us awake, about the Holy Spirit making a people ready for the coming of the Lord. Now, wouldn't you agree that this is exactly what's happening in our reading from Mark 1 today? The scene that Mark describes is all about John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness, and people are coming in droves to confess their sins and be baptized. This sounds a lot like a revival, like awakening, like spiritual renewal, doesn't it? That people become acutely aware of God's holiness, of God's law, and the presence of sin 
in their hearts, in their lives, and how God is grieved by that sin. And also there's an acute awareness of the overflowing abundant mercy of God for sinners and people come and receive forgiveness and reconciliation. Now, as Christians who are in the Western Catholic Lutheran tradition, we might be somewhat wary of words like revival or awakening, and rightly so, I think, in some respects. For one, what people often call revival is often, I think, counterfeit, and it uses questionable methods to stir people up spiritually. And so well-meaning Christians think that if we just have the right music, if we just play the right songs and we just play them with the repeated refrains over and over, if we just have the lights dimmed at just the right point, if we have just the right setting and the right mood, the right methods, the right preacher with just the right charismatic personality, then maybe we can create revival. But of course, if any of these factors are missing, if you have just normal lighting and normal seating and you have a normal preacher and you have the normal readings and you have normal music, the spiritual high goes away. This approach doesn't really believe that the word of God preached and taught is more than enough to revive and awaken God's people. It it relies on human methods. In other words, we try to revive the church with something other than God's ordinary means of working in us, which would be the word of God preached and the sacraments received. By the way, you notice in Mark chapter 1, what is John the Baptist doing? He's preaching. People are coming to baptism. Those are God's ordinary means for working in us. Also, we need to remember that most of the Christian life is not lived on the proverbial mountaintop experience. Our Christian lives so often take place in the mundane and often in the boring. God is present day in and day out, working in us, not so much in flashy, impressive ways, but really as we live under the care of his word and his sacraments and we bear the cross and serve our neighbor. I've often met Christians who are always looking for a spiritual high, and it's easy for them to get discouraged with themselves or with their church or with other Christians. And they forget that God is often working in us in the deepest ways through the plateaus and the valleys of our lives. And yet, if we read the scriptures carefully, especially during this season of Advent, we will see that God has always sent his church times of awakening, revival, and renewal and refreshment. What happens is God's people fall asleep, which is the natural direction we go as human beings. We fall asleep in our faith, and God sends his Holy Spirit to wake us up. God's people hide their light, and they lose their saltiness, and God sends a prophet or a preacher to renew them. We see this throughout the Old Testament. For example, God's people worship idols and they stray from him and God sends the prophet again and again to preach the law and to preach the gospel and to bring back a people who are faithful. We see this in the New Testament. Revelation chapter 3. One of the letters sent to the seven churches is the letter sent to the church of Laodicea where Jesus says that they as a congregation had grown neither hot nor cold, but lukewarm. And Jesus himself calls them to repent and to have fellowship with himself. 
We see this throughout the history of the church. In fact, I would say that the Reformation some 500 years ago was a revival in preaching and teaching the word of God. And so we can say confidently that revival, renewal, and awakening are gifts that we should confidently ask God for. But we cannot accomplish these things by our own strength or skill. We can only pray and ask God to act. The well-known preacher Tim Keller, who is of blessed memory now, he, he passed away this year, once observed that when God sends a congregation a season of revival, three things happen. So number one, sleepy Christians wake up. That's definitely an Advent theme, right? We see this in our gospel text, that sleepy Israel is awakened by the preaching of John, which causes them to confess their sins, receive God's forgiveness, and wait for the Christ. Sleepy Christians wake up. That's the first thing that happens. The second thing that happens is that nominal Christians get saved. In other words, Christians who are Christian in name only, but that don't have a true and living faith in Jesus Christ, become genuinely converted, meaning they see Christ as their Savior and they hold on to him in genuine saving faith. So first, sleepy Christians wake up. Second, nominal Christians get saved. And third, people opposed to the Christian faith who are far away from it become attracted and open to the gospel. In other words, people that you never thought would be open to the gospel become open to it. We see this in our gospel reading, by the way, don't we? If we were to read the wider context of what's happening with John the Baptist and his preaching, we would see also that it's the tax collectors and the prostitutes who are coming near. Those who are far away are coming near to John to hear the preaching and be baptized. Those who are far away come to the gospel. Those we never thought would become Christians come to the faith. Let's talk first about sleepy Christians waking up. There was once a woman who attended church her entire life. In fact, she had belonged to the same church her entire life. She could never remember a time when she didn't know and love Jesus. She was baptized as a child, confirmed as a teenager. She attended youth group in high school and servant events as well. Her parents and her grandparents were Christians too. In fact, most of the people that she knew in her community supported her faith. During college, she continued to grow as a Christian. She attended Bible studies and read daily devotions. However, in the last few years, her spiritual growth had stalled. You could say that her life was now busy, anxious, and often going through the motions. She was now married, had two teenagers, and a full-time job. Her family was in church most Sundays, but she had not attended a Bible study in about 10 years. And so her knowledge and love of God's word had atrophied. Her prayer life was usually just a few rushed petitions during the morning commute. She felt like God was more of an idea than a living, active person. Her love for the Lord had grown lukewarm. She became acutely aware of her spiritual sleepiness when one of her sons came home from confirmation with a question about the Bible. 
It was a question that she would have known the answer to maybe 10 years ago, but now she struggled to give an answer or even know where to look in the Bible. This bothered her, and she couldn't stop thinking about it. The next week, she saw her coworker sitting in the break room during lunch with her Bible open, reading quietly. The Holy Spirit reminded her in that moment what she was missing. She was missing a devotion to the living and the active Word of God. And so the very next Sunday, she started actually attending the late service at her congregation so she could attend adult Bible study at the earlier hour. And the more she studied God's word, the more she wanted to learn more. And the more she learned, the more awake she became. Through the word, God had awakened her from her spiritual sleep. In fact, God would use her example to wake up her husband as well, who eventually would come to Bible study with her. Pastor Tim encouraged us last week in his sermon to not remain at a confirmation level understanding of the faith, but to continue to grow and not atrophy. During this Advent season, can you hear the Spirit calling you to wake up and to have a deeper knowledge and love of God's Word? What is keeping you from participating in a Bible study or a life group or a daily devotion? How is it that we can have God's word so readily accessible to us and not learn it and know it? God calls us to wake up and to cherish that word, to love that word, to grow in that word. What might your life look like if you were in the word on a regular basis? Let's talk now about nominal Christians getting saved. There was once a young man who had grown up in the church his entire life. As far back as he could remember, his family had brought him to church. His parents and grandparents were very involved in the congregation. In fact, two of the church's elders were his uncles. His dad was on the church board and his mom taught at the church's school. He was always around the gospel, but to be honest, he wasn't really all that interested in the gospel. Even though he didn't pay much attention during confirmation classes, he knew enough of the right answers to get confirmed. As a teenager, he would often daydream about sports during the sermon. During the time of confession and absolution, he would wait in awkward silence for the service to move along already. Communion would come and go without the slightest feeling of affection or thanks to Jesus. Although he considered himself a Christian, he did not know Christ. And although he knew enough about Jesus, he did not know Jesus. And then it was off to college. He was always taken to church by his parents, but now it was up to him. Now, his parents did their due diligence. They found the campus ministry booth during move-in week, and they got him connected with the congregation. They were fearful that that might not happen if they didn't intervene. But then he was on his own. Out of a sense of duty, he did go to worship once or twice that first semester. But in all honesty, there were other things he wanted to do late into Saturday night and early into Sunday morning. And it wasn't just that it was hard to wake up on Sunday mornings. It just was also inconvenient to hear about sin and the need for forgiveness after enjoying himself 
thoroughly the weekend before. He was the prodigal son. And at this point, he didn't really want to be found, at least not just yet. He told himself that he would get serious about God some other time, maybe after he graduated, maybe when he got married, maybe when he had kids, but not just yet. When he came home for summer break, he was back into the routine of coming to church each week now that he was living at home again. Now, on the outside, he seemed like a good kid from a good Christian family, but he was a Christian in name only and not in reality. He had forgotten his baptism and his confirmation vows, but God had not forgotten. One of the annoying things about sophomore year when he returned to college was his dorm floor. Unlike his freshman floor, which was worldly and debaucherous, his new dorm floor had a number of what he liked to call annoying Christians, Christians who took their faith seriously and spoke about it openly. In fact, his RA was a member of his home congregation, a few years ahead of him in confirmation. His RA invited him to the dorm Bible study that he led consistently. At first, he made excuses to not come, but then he eventually gave in. So there he sat on Wednesday evenings with his Bible open, really for the first time since it was given to him at confirmation. For the first few studies, he was bored, distracted, and uncomfortable. But there was one time when he attended Bible study that his RA asked him to read out loud a verse from 1 Peter 2, and he read aloud verse 24. He read, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. The verse jumped out at him from the page like it was alive. He knew in general that Jesus died for our sins. He'd heard that over and over growing up to the point that he didn't hear it. But he had never seriously thought about Jesus dying for his sins personally. For several days, he couldn't stop thinking about this, that Jesus died for his sins. And more and more, he began to think about his own sins, of which he had many. His heart was beginning to feel burdened and heavy. His conscience was beginning to feel guilty and uncomfortable, like when you have a sliver in your hand and it starts to get infected. He was no longer enjoying the things that he used to enjoy. His conscience was panged. The next week he came home for Christmas break. Like normal, he stood in line after church to greet the pastor. As he shook the pastor's hand, he said, without even really thinking, can I come in and talk to you sometime? In fact, he wasn't even really sure why he said that or what he wanted to talk about, but he knew that he needed to talk to somebody. He sat in the pastor's office the following morning, and after some small talk about how the semester went and how the Huskers' football season turned out, he started to cry. He tried to hold back the tears, but they came. He began to weep, and even though everything in him said, don't do it, he confessed to the pastor the life he'd been living at college. One by one, the sins 
or confessed. And after his confession, his pastor looked him in the eyes and spoke words he had often heard but never really believed. He said to him, through Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection, your sins are forgiven. And he believed those words. He took those words with him back to college and slowly but surely he began to live a new life, a renewed life. God had given him a true and living faith in his Savior. Perhaps you're here today and you you know enough about Jesus, but you don't know Jesus. Maybe you've been baptized, but you don't hold on to your baptism and claim its benefits. Maybe you're here with us today worshiping, but when you leave, there's no evidence that you're a Christian the other six days of the week. God is calling out to you today that this Jesus has died for your sins and he is alive and he calls out to you today to see your great need and to receive his great mercy for you. Now finally, let's talk about those opposed to the gospel being attracted to it. There was once a man who was a a very confident, outspoken atheist. He was the kind of person who liked to argue with Christians. In fact, he would try to embarrass them publicly. And so it was really a shock and a disappointment when his wife became a Christian. She had gone through a long season of illness as well as a deep depression. And during this time, she had a close friend who consistently prayed for her and supported her. Eventually, she wanted what this woman had, something she knew was missing in her life. Now, while he was disappointed that his wife became a Christian, the shock eventually wore off. He told himself this is just something they'd have to agree to disagree on. Maybe this would be her new extracurricular activity or hobby. Maybe eventually it would wear off. Each Sunday morning, she would go to church and to Bible study, and he would walk the dogs and read the news. At first, she invited him to come to church, but her repeated requests were beginning to wear on their relationship. And so for several years, she quietly prayed for her husband and did her best to represent Christ to him. And she knew... In spite of her prayers, her husband might never come to know Jesus. And yet she continued to pray in season and out of season, asking God to soften his heart. During these years, he was watching the way that she lived her life. And now, as he was facing his own health struggles, chronic health struggles, he noticed that she had a peace and a calm that he lacked in his life. He was a confident atheist when he wasn't suffering. But now that he was, he wasn't so confident. He had to grapple with the idea that he was suffering and there was no help and no meaning alongside that suffering. He knew all of this intellectually before he was suffering, but now that he was experiencing real suffering that was out of his hands, he wasn't so sure anymore about his unbelief. Somehow, he ended up at Christmas Eve service. He didn't really want to come, But his niece was singing in the children's choir that evening, and even his unbelief was not a valid excuse to miss this family moment. Near the end of the church service, the congregation sang Silent Night. 
Light spread through the darkened church as a small flame passed from candle to candle. As he sat in the dimly lit church with his candle burning, he looked around and realized what he was missing in his life. Light in the darkness. His atheism was just darkness in the darkness. But what his wife and all these worshipers had was light in the darkness. He was baptized six months later. And when he died of his illness two years after that, he died as a Christian, as one confessing Christ. Friends, it can be really disheartening and discouraging when we see people in our lives who are far away from God and seem like they're doing everything they can in their power to stay away from him. But the Old Testament and the New Testament, as well as the history of the church, is full of stories, stories about those who are very far away from God, who are opposed to him, who are running away from him. And yet God's mercy reached out and caught them and brought them back, just like the prodigal son. And so we should never stop praying that God's spirit would draw near those who are far away. If God can convert you, If God can convert me, then he can convert anybody. Tax collectors, prostitutes, Saul, who became Paul and wrote a good portion of the New Testament. He can convert anyone. And so we pray for God to come and do the same among us. And so in conclusion, friends, revival, awakening, spiritual renewal, these are maybe words we do not use often in our church, but they are at the heart of Advent. And so we pray for such things to be done among us during this season of Advent and beyond. We pray here at Holy Cross and we pray with the whole church. We pray, come Holy Spirit and awaken us from our sleep. Awaken me from my sleep. Give me a lamp that is burning so that I am ready for the coming of the Lord. We pray, come Holy Spirit, save those among us in this congregation who may not know you. Give true faith to my son, my daughter, my wife, my husband. We pray, come Holy Spirit, bring to Christ those who are far away. Bring to Christ those we thought would never come to Christ. Come Holy Spirit, Stir up our hearts and make us a people ready for the coming of the Lord. Come, Holy Spirit, awaken, revive, and renew this congregation and the whole Christian church. In the name of Jesus, amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode. We hope it was useful for you. If you found this particular useful, you can share this episode with friends or family. You can also subscribe to our podcast and whatever platform you're using or give us a review that really helps other people find our podcast. This is also a teaching ministry of Holy Cross in Kearney, Nebraska. And so if you do not have a church, we would love to welcome you into our community to build you up and to share the joy of salvation with you and the rest of the members here at Holy Cross. 